You're listening to Comedy Central. Christmas in Africa is very interesting. Yeah, because it's summer. So it has none of the cheer that you guys associate with it in America. It's just like sweaty people delivering presents. It's a very different vibe. Like unwrapping gifts is a lot more fun when you're like cozy next to like a fireplace. When it's hot, it just feels like a job. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's like, what did you get me? Why are you making me work? Why why did you bring it wrapped? Why didn't you just bring it unwrapped? I don't think I ever got a wrapped gift. Like, no, when I was a kid growing up, I never got a wrapped, why would, I've never understood the concept of a wrapped gift. It can, it only breeds like disappointment. Cause everyone is just like, oh, I wonder what it is. It's never what you thought it is. That's a very sad way to live life. You shouldn't wrap gifts. Or exactly what you thought it is. You should, you know what you should use wrapping paper for? <laughs> for like, for after the gifts. People give you things and then you go like, nah, I don't like that. And then you wrap it up. <laughs> That's what wrapping should be for. Cause like, I wish this never happened. This is all you bought me after a year of being in my life. That's what wrapping should be for. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's like, it's, and it's, it's not bad by the way. I'm just saying it's funny when you come from a different place, your mindset on these things is completely different. I've just never had a wrapped present, nor do I enjoy wrapping. I hate when people say that to me. I have Americans in my life now and they're like, oh, you didn't wrap it. I bought you shit. I, just, I bought you some shit. Now you want me to wrap the shit. It's already in a package as well. Now I just say climate change, then they can't say anything. But for, for a few years, I just had to fight with people. Oh, why didn't you wrap it? Because it's come, it comes wrapped. It's in packaging. You want to have the packaging of the packaging. Do you know what I mean? Oh, but I want the surprise. Then close your eyes before you look at this shit. <laughs> You're gonna make your surprise my job. I bought you this shit. You know what was a surprise for me? How much your present cost me. That was a surprise. Oh, why didn't you wrap this shit? Why didn't you buy it? You want surprises and you want gifts. I can't do everything in your life. Some bullshit. A Merry Christmas, everybody, I mean. (laughs) Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show, Ears Edition. Tonight, Omicron can't stop, won't stop. What China's up to in Africa. And Bruno Le Maire. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show, I'm Trevor Noah. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. We kick things off with the only story everybody has been talking about for two years now, the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, this thing is starting to feel a lot like a Marvel movie. It's exciting, but it's kind of dragging on for a really long time. Now, the Omicron wave that we've been waiting for has now hit the US for real. Hospitals are starting to fill up again. Big companies that were planning to bring workers back to the office in January have postponed until May 2097, and concerts and shows are shutting down. A lot of people are saying that it feels like March 2020 all over again, but people please have some optimism. Things are much better now than they were back then, for one, we have vaccines. Two, we have treatments. And three, no one thinks Zoom happy hours are a good idea. We've learned a lot. But while we are being reminded about just how serious this pandemic is, there are still some people who are taking it just a little more lightly. A Cape Coral man was spotted on a United Airlines flight masking up, but not with one of these. He actually was wearing underwear 
on his face. This is Adam Jenny wearing his statement piece, a bright red thong. I think the best way to illustrate absurdity is with absurdity. Jenny says he's worn underwear as a mask since the beginning of the pandemic. I am banned from flying United, so so much for the customer is always right. Jenny is comparing himself to civil rights icons. Everything else that has sparked change in this country has started from everyday people. Rosa Parks was nobody famous. She changed the course of history. Rosa Parks, my man. Don't be so modest. You're more than Rosa Parks. If anything, you're the Martin Luther King of white dudes comparing themselves to black heroes for no reason. Shit. You know, for real, sometimes I think conservatives are right. America shouldn't be teaching the history of racism in schools because then at least white people wouldn't know who to compare themselves to when they get kicked off of airplanes for doing dumb shit. I'm exactly the same as, uh, I, I, I can't think of anybody, you know? Uh, like, maybe I'm just a dumbass wearing panties on my face. I need to reevaluate my behavior. And by the way, can we all agree there's no way this dude just started sniffing thongs during the pandemic? I bet you he's been going around for years like, well, looks like I got kicked out of the dorm because I'm once again the Rosa Parks of my sister's friend's underwear drawer. Yeah, someone's gotta do it. But as long as we're talking about civil rights, let's move on to a story about Martin Luther King Day. Some people are saying America needs to stop celebrating MLK Day next year. But the people suggesting it might not be who you think. Martin Luther King III is asking people not to celebrate his father's legacy on MLK Day coming up next month if Congress has not passed new national voting rights protection. They're calling on President Joe Biden and lawmakers to pass two voting rights bills that have been stalled in Congress. One is aimed at fighting voter suppression and it's restoring the 1965 Voting Rights Act. The other focused on reforms, making it easier to register to vote. Whew, this is hardcore, but I, I get why the King family has to resort to this. I mean, with Republicans blocking the new laws and Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema refusing to end the filibuster so that Democrats can pass it themselves, someone has to think outside of the box. And holding a holiday as a hostage is a great leverage. I mean, it's a brilliant idea. You know, because I don't care how racist you are, nobody wants to give up a day off of work. In fact, if you ask me, they shouldn't just threaten to take MLK Day. No, you know what they should do? They should threaten to turn MLK Day into a second Valentine's Day. That's a real threat. And nobody wants to put their relationship in that much trouble. You forgot Valentine's Day. There's another one? Still, this is a risky strategy. Because you realize Republicans have a way of twisting everything related to MLK. Yeah, tomorrow, Ron DeSantis could come out and be like, the King family is right. We've got to defend Dr. King's dream. That's why from now on, all black people in Florida can vote exclusively in their dreams. So no need to show up anymore on election day, black people. We did it. All right, but let's move on to our top story. Back in the day, when one country wanted to take over another country, they had to beat them in a war. Or they had to rent the other country on Airbnb and then just never leave. But now it looks like a country might have found a way to take over another country with the stroke of a pen. China's recently been accused of trying to take over Uganda's sole international airport if the East African country fails to pay a $200 million loan for the expansion of the site. At this rate, if Uganda fails to repay the loan, Uganda's only international airport will soon be a Chinese asset. In response to the public outcry over the loan agreement, the Chinese embassy in Uganda issued a statement saying, quote, 
Not a single project in Africa has ever been confiscated by China because of failing to pay Chinese loans. Wait, China might be threatening to take Uganda's airport because of a loan that might not be paid? And, and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but that statement was not the most reassuring thing I've ever heard because we've never confiscated an airport is very different from we're never going to confiscate an airport. Like if you ask your spouse, promise me you'll never cheat on me. And she says, of course I promise that up to now I have never cheated on you. Oh, she's going to cheat on you. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're like, I didn't even know Africa had airports. First of all, f you. <laughs> We've had them since the 90s. And secondly, you're probably wondering, what the hell is going on with this story? How can one country take another country's airport? Do they just take over its operations or do they actually get one of those claw things that just scoop it up and then take it back to their country? And if so, can they do that to LaGuardia too, please? But maybe the biggest question is, what is China even doing in Africa in the first place? Well, let's find out in another installment of If You Don't Know, Now You Know. Africa. It's where I was born and raised and where you missed the rain from. Ever since the age of colonialism ended, Africa has been working hard to modernize its economies and catch up with the rest of the world. But to do that, it needs lots and lots of new infrastructure. Roads, railways, ports, dams, cheesecake factories, you name it, Africa needs to build it. The only problem is that stuff all costs a shitload of money money that most African countries don't have. But in recent years, many African countries have found themselves a new sugar daddy. China. Over the last several decades, China has been pumping resources into Africa. The country has invested hundreds of billions of dollars across the continent, ranging in everything from transportation and infrastructure to real estate and technology. Large African infrastructure projects would be viewed as risky by any traditional bank and would therefore struggle to get financed, but China's Export-Import Bank doesn't care. This bank will give low interest or no interest loans to African countries so they can build these trains or dams or other projects. China touts the fact that their foreign investment and aid is no strings attached, with no requirements on factors like respect of human rights or democratic elections. We do not interfere in the internal affairs of African countries, impose our will on African countries, or attach any political conditions on economic aid. That's right, baby. China has been making it rain in Africa. It's the most money anyone has sent to Africa without being guilt-tripped by a celebrity sing-along. And no strings attached, by the way. China doesn't care about your government or human rights or anything. They're basically the cool mom of international finance. Oh, you and your friends, you wanna come party this weekend? Well, come do it in our basement with your child soldiers. We didn't hear a thing. So in many ways, this is a great arrangement for Africa. But maybe it won't come as a surprise that China isn't just giving billions of risky loans to Africa out of the goodness of its heart. Many scholars suggest Beijing's true endgame in Africa is not solely financial, but rather political. There is empirical evidence that China has been using these infrastructure investments to affect worldwide politics. 
It's been found that if an African country recognizes Taiwan as a country, they receive, on average, 2.7 fewer Chinese infrastructure projects within their borders each year. Conversely, if an African country votes overwhelmingly along with China in the United Nations General Assembly, they receive 1.8 more infrastructure projects each year. At one point or another, 30 African countries have had formal relations with Taiwan. Now Eswatini is the only African nation to recognize the island. Yep, that's the power of money right there. Enough of it can make you switch allegiances, change your principles, do anything. Hell, for enough money, you could probably get Africans to start saying that Africa is just one country. Yes, yes, we are just one big country full of giraffes, huh? Where's, where's the money, huh? Still, China has been really successful with this. Out of all of Africa, every country has broken off relations with Taiwan except Eswatini, which means Eswatini either really has, like, principles that they stick to, or they just haven't heard about the deal yet. Good for you, Eswatini, refusing that money from China. What? China's giving out money? Hello, Taiwan? I it's over. Yeah, I I'll come by later to get my things. And you might say, well, tough luck for Taiwan, but subordinating your foreign policy to another country is probably worth it if it means getting all this investment. I mean, think of all the jobs that these projects create in Africa. And it is true, these projects do create jobs. It's just that many of those jobs are going to China. In Africa, China's estimated to have won almost half of all engineering procurement and construction contracts. But those contracts haven't come without controversy. The country's been accused of unfair labor practices in Africa, including bringing in its own workers instead of hiring locally. The steady influx of Chinese companies and workers have fueled accusations that wealth and opportunities are not being shared with the local community. We all do the railway work, but the Chinese constantly say we're the boss. We're the ones who run the show. This is Ethiopia's main Chinese economic zone. This small business makes jeans. Everything is imported from China. Sewing machines, methods, and supervisors. The average salary of an Ethiopian worker is $56 a month, 10 times less than the average Chinese worker. That's right. When China invests in these projects, they often send over Chinese workers to Africa to fill all the best positions, which isn't right. I mean, the best jobs shouldn't be given to a person because of where they're from. The best job should be given to whoever has the best answers in a job interview. So, what's your biggest weakness? And don't say working too hard. Uh, masturbating in public? I like your honesty. You're hired. And even when Africans are employed, they're treated differently, sometimes even segregated from the Chinese workers. And that's wrong. I mean, we need Chinese and African people to spend more time together because of all the hijinks they'll get up to. I mean, we haven't had a rush hour sequel in like 20 years, guys. So China is gaining control over Africa's foreign policy and its best jobs. Not to mention, a lot of these projects put Chinese companies in charge of Africa's prized natural resources, especially precious metals, which is super important because those precious metals are in basically every piece of advanced technology these days. I'm talking everything, cars, appliances, Elon Musk, everything. So when you start to examine this relationship as a whole, it actually starts to look a lot less like a loan and a lot more like a new kind of colonialism. And that's, that's before we even get to what happens if the loans aren't repaid. 
analysts have accused them of debt colonialism. There are fears China is making loans it knows states cannot repay. Beijing may engage in what critics characterize as debt trap diplomacy, lending designed to force countries into handing over land, minerals and strategic assets when they default on a loan. To build this Belt and Road Railroad with Chinese loans, Kenya agreed to apply Chinese law inside Kenya and give up East Africa's largest port if it couldn't repay its debts. Some countries are relying on gradually repaying the debts to China by shipping specific quantities of oil. Sometimes the loans are repaid in natural resources such as cobalt. As Africa's largest bilateral creditor, China holds more than 20% of the continent's debt. Many African countries were already crippled under the weight of the money they owe China. Now, the coronavirus pandemic has made it nearly impossible for many to keep up with debt payments. Basically, China has negotiated agreements with our African countries, which are so egregious in uh, you know, benefiting China. They could take all of Africa at a fire sale price. Ah, yes, the debt trap. It's like the first trap of infrastructure. China's just strutting around with its railroads hanging out. What is Africa supposed to do? Not hit the like button? I mean, say what you want about European colonizers, but at least they were upfront about it. Right, we're taking all your shit, and if you don't like it, you can go to the UN. Oh wait, they don't exist yet, biatch. But what China's doing is a lot like terms and conditions, yeah. They know Africa can't afford not to take the deals that they offer. And then when Africa can't pay it back, the Chinese are like, right, we're taking all your shit. And if you don't like it, read the fine print, biatch. So look, this isn't a great situation for Africa and the rest of the world really needs to know what is happening here. Although if there's anything I've learned, it's that people don't really care about Africa. In fact, people don't care about most issues until it affects them personally or until they've seen like a movie about it. I mean, these days killers get exonerated because of something people watched on Netflix. Actually, maybe the only way to get people to care about Africa is if we turn it into a movie. We're here for your airport. Hand over the keys. We will hand you nothing. You will never understand the ways of our land or our airport. Too bad. Now it's China's airport. The runways, the terminals, the soggy tuna sandwiches that we made in 2019, it's all ours. But the terms of this deal are unfair. Well, then maybe you shouldn't have agreed to it. Duh. We had no choice. Tell him, man. Stop daydreaming about Zendaya. Come on, man. China's about to take control of our airport. Focus. Sorry. I'm sorry. I focused. China, you are taking advantage of Africa's plight, locking us into onerous contracts so that you can plunder our resources. Huh? And by the way, when I say China, I'm talking about the Chinese government. Huh? I'm not talking about Chinese people. Mm. Of course, you know, nothing against Chinese people. Of course, I mean, hashtag stop Asian hate. But what are you gonna do about it? Huh? This is the best deal you're gonna get. People can only be oppressed so long before those people eventually get tired of oppression and stand up. Am I right? Thinking about Zendaya, man. 
We're about to lose the airport. I don't know why I keep doing it. Maybe she's got a plan for us. Maybe there's a deal, huh? It's not just daydreaming. You know what? Let me go and try and find this lady. You talk to this China guy, huh? I'll, I'll get back to you, huh? I have to find her. I hope you get eaten by a big ass worm. Wait, is this part one? How long is this movie? Sorry, guys, that would have been better quality if I had a budget, but I didn't want to take any money from China. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is French finance minister Bruno Le Maire. He's here to talk about the relationship between France and America and how the country is responding to the challenges from COVID all the way through to Russia. Minister Le Maire, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you so much uh, for joining us here today, um, especially during this time. I, I feel like you're one of the best people who I could speak to about one of the countries that's central to the direction that Europe is gonna be taking in the coming years. Let's, let's maybe start with the biggest question, the pressing question. Great Britain has left the European Union. Angela Merkel is stepping down after 16 years, you know, leading the European bloc. France is now seen as one of the key players that has to step into a role of guiding Europe in a certain direction. But it feels like with COVID, with Russia, with the world's economy, there is a lot to do. What is France's plan for moving Europe forward? And is it an optimistic outlook? Very optimistic. And our plan is quite clear. We want a stronger Europe. We want a Europe that will be more uh, independent. And we want to, France to play a key role in this building back better of uh, Europe. I'm totally against uh, this uh, way of thinking that France would be on decline. France is absolutely not on decline. France is booming, Europe is booming, and our best years are for our children. It's interesting that you say France is booming and France is not on the decline, and yet there are people in France who may feel the opposite. And I only say that yes, because right. what I've learned in America, right. and we learn it all around the world, is the reality may not necessarily match the perception that some people have, and that perception can oftentimes be more powerful in terms of determining I who gets agree, to I agree, but you know, we want to avoid a, a kind of a Trump's experience Interesting. in France. I, I really think that it would not be the best way for France. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have 30 or 35% of the French population which stands ready to vote for far-right parties. Right. So we need, we need to understand why. I think that there is a question of identity. There is a question of fear. People uh, are concerned by uh, the COVID. People are concerned by the rise of China. People are concerned by their own identity. Yeah. And we need to respond to those questions while avoiding new divisions in the French society. Once again, we don't want to leave what you have lived with the Trump experience in the United States. Let's talk a little bit about some of those things. You recently had a debate with um, a far-right conservative in, in, in France who, uh, you know, is on a news program that is, that is very far-right. And some people would say, yeah, it's similar to Fox News. And he, he's planning to run in the country and he's stoking those fears and those divisions. I, I would love to know if we start with identity, because that's a key one in France. France has always had this beautiful idea, forget religion, forget your race, forget everything else, we are French and we are French together. It seems like there is now starting to be a rift between some who say being French is only attainable fully if you are white and a Francophile, or being French is only fully attainable if, if you are willing to you know, get rid of all of your, your, your cultural ideas. And some argue that being French only should be reserved for people who are white and of European descent. How do you, how do you bring those two worlds together without anyone feeling alienated, but also trying to get to that, that, that ideal. But I think it would be a total mistake to think that you can only be French 
if you are uh, white and if uh, you have uh, hairs of uh, 100, 200 or 300 years. Mm -hmm. I think it would really be a mistake. You can be black, you can be white, you can be a Muslim, you can be Jew, you can be Catholic, you can come from Brittany or you can come from Morocco. That's not an issue, provided that you love France. I've deba de debated with Eric Zemmour. He's pretending like uh, Zorro, Z. Yes. He's pretending to rescue the people. He's not rescuing the people. He's dividing the people. He's fueling the people with fear and with hate. That's exactly what we want to fight against. You know, there is um, an American dream based on the possibility to become rich and to be successful. Right. I like the American dream. But there is also a French dream, which is based on freedom, which is based on equality, which is based on fraternity. We are all responsible for the future of the nation. Hmm. And that's the key point of the French dream. I have the French dream in the roots of my heart. And I will fight against those people which are trying to divide the French society, which are trying to put the people against one each other because I really think that it cannot be the future for France. Do you think France could do a better job of giving everybody access to the French dream who is in France? Yes. You know, like we, we've seen stories of people who have uh, names, names like Diallo not getting interviews or people who are Muslim struggling to integrate into French culture. Do you think France could do a better job of that? Yes. Yes, yes let's be very frank. We could do a far better job and we have to take into account the difficulties of the people uh, who are of foreign origins, who are trying to do their best to be successful in mm -hmm. the French society, uh, to uh, have access to uh, the highest position, and they are facing big hurdles, we should get rid of those hurdles. And we should make its place for everybody which is taking the right decisions and which is doing its best efforts to be successful. I think that we can do far better on that field. Let's talk a little bit about geopolitics. Right now, one of the biggest pressing issues in Europe is the conversation around Russia. I know that President Macron recently spoke to the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, and it seems like all of these discussions, whether it's with Putin, whether it's with Biden, seem affable on the surface, but on the border of Ukraine, there's an army that has gathered and, and Europe seems to be worrying about what that might mean. Now, most countries seem to believe that any militaristic interve intervention would be the worst possible outcome. We see Afghanistan, we see the world, people do not have an appetite for war. However, many people wonder what the European Union would do if Russia were to invade Ukraine. Is there any idea of a plan in place? The plan is to be very clear towards Vladimir Putin. If there is any attempt to the Ukraine border, then the consequences for Russia will be very bad. And you know, there is one thing that we should really uh, avoid, uh, which is any kind of military action, because military action is never the solution. So we have been very clear, both President Biden and President Macron, we will never accept any attempt and any threat against Ukraine. Do you think financial sanctions will be enough as a threat? Financial san sanctions uh, might be a possibility, but not the only one. Another conversation in and around France, very dear to my heart, obviously, coming from the continent, is the conversation between or around France and its former colonies. For a long time, many Africans have felt like 
France, and not alone in this, you know, the same thing with Great Britain, et cetera, has done a terrible job in reconciling with its past actions in Africa to Africans who speak French, who have lived under the French for so long and who now say, we are struggling because of a past of colonialism. What do you think France could be doing better on the continent to try and right some of its wrongs? I mean, we know we live in a world where everyone has conquered, everyone has invaded, so I'm not even saying it's a blame thing. Do you think there's something France could be doing to try and improve the relationship between these African countries and the country of France? I think that we are doing our best to uh, try to build reconciliation. And reconciliation is a key word, of course. Mm -hmm. Reconciliation means understanding the past of all those countries. Reconciliation uh, means that you have to be respectful. Reconciliation also means providing help to those countries. You are just speaking about COVID. COVID is a nightmare for everybody. Right. But what the hell, if you have all the Western countries being successful in fighting against COVID, and you have African countries without the possibility of fighting COVID and facing the pandemic, the result will be negative for all of us. Right. So Definitely. helping the other countries could be also a solution. Very last point on that, the economic um, support that we are giving to African countries is absolutely key. You run the risk of having a new great divergence from an economic point of view mm. between the European continent and the United States on the one side and African countries on the other side. Right. We should definitely fight against that big gap between the two continents. Uh, are you doing anything to try and insulate African countries from China and, and the influence that they're in? Because it seems like a new good type, question. It seems like a new Very type of colonization. Uh, I think that there is the old type of colonization and we are trying to build a reconciliation. And there is a new type, I would not use the word uh, colonization, but a type of influence, mm -hmm. which is a very hard one, mm -hmm. coming from China. And we are explaining to uh, all African countries that we have to build a new partnership based on an equal footing. Equal footing is absolutely key. Mm -hmm. And maybe they could be a little bit more cautious vis-a-vis -vis China. Well, Minister Le Maire, thank you so much for thank being you, here. Thank you, Trevor Noah. Thank Merci. you so much. We're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, please consider supporting Vibrant Emotional Health. They're a nonprofit dedicated to helping people achieve emotional well-being and to giving them the support and the skills that they need to survive. So if you wanna support them in their work, especially during the stressful holiday season, then please donate at the link below. Until next time, stay safe out there. Get your vaccine, and remember, if China offers you money to make your life better, you take that money and run. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 